Gracias for pressing play. Y welcome to Smart Chickens, a working together, smarter diversity meets innovation and growth podcast. In today's episode, we have a very special guest whom needs no introduction, but here goes. He's the godfather of category design strategy, Christopher Lockhead. Christopher is a number one Apple business podcaster, number one Amazon marketing author, and a godfather of category design. Lockhead has been an advisor to over 50 venture-backed startups, is a venture capital limited partner, and a former three-time Silicon Valley public company CMO, Vantive, Cient, Mercury Interactive. He's also an entrepreneur. Lockhead hosts the award-winning Dialogue podcast, Follow Your Different, an award-winning Lockhead on Marketing podcast, and is the co-author of two international bestsellers, Niche Down and Play Bigger. He has been called one of the best minds in marketing by the Marketing Journal, a human exclamation point by Fast Company, a quasar by NBA legend Bill Walton, and off-putting to some by The Economist. We discuss his origin story from dropping out of high school in his native Canada to creating his own path to, toward success as a solopreneur. We delve into his point of view around category design, why it's the only true path to differentiate and win big in today's highly competitive marketplace. And he also shares the top decision makers who have to embrace category design as a business and go-to-market strategy. And yes, it's a C-level, but you'll be surprised by his answer. He delves into what category design is not, so executives and stakeholders don't fall into pitfalls of category design confusion. He also describes how category design can shape culture, describing Eddie Yoon's missionary versus mercenary mentality around work culture. We also have a very special cameo by a furry feline, which shows Christopher Lockhead's incredible awareness to detail, and he saved one of the nine lives of Bean, his rescued kitten. He also gives us some of his book recommendations to get exponentially better, and he shares the advice he would give or reflect upon to a younger Christopher if he could go back to the future. There's a throwing down the rope and counting crows reference to this answer, which I found very interesting. As always, this podcast is brought to you by our good friends at digitechie.com, a conversational marketing demand gen and revenue accelerator consultancy, helping B2B companies achieve six to seven figures in pipelines consistently. And gypsyforever.com, uniquely handmade wellness products that help you connect your body, mind, and soul to achieve a better balanced you. So vamos, let's dive into the show. And without further ado, here's Christopher Lockhead. Uh, what is category, what is, what category isn't? So for those that are just seeing it as a gimmicky word and don't understand it. Yeah, so here's the aha. Um, just like you could design a company slash business model, just like you can design a product and there's been a break, a, a big breakthrough in product design over the last plus or minus 30 years with this uh, introduction of this notion of design thinking. Um, it turns out you can design a market category. And one of the biggest um, mistakes in business is an unspoken, undeclared, unacknowledged, untalked about, unconsidered idea. And that is um, that the whole premise of what we call marketing is bullshit. And here's why. When one says marketing, in general, it means the following. 
what we are going to do is we're going to launch a product or a service into an existing market category. We are going to market evangelize why our product is better than what currently exists. And we are going to compete with our better product or service for existing demand. And we are going to fight a um, market share game. So when one says marketing, for the most part, everything I just said is implied. And, it, and even worse, um, it's not questioned or discussed in any way. So here's the aha. None of the legends did that. The aha is there's a reason you and I could pay $400 for a high-end pair of sunglasses and $150 for a flat screen TV. Now, on its face, you would say, well, one product is a piece of advanced technology that talks to satellites in space, and the other product is a piece of plastic on your face. And if you were an alien visiting from another planet and you said, well, there's one product, this, these are what they do, and one of them's 400 bucks and one of them's 150 bucks, I don't know. You might say the thing that talks to the satellites and delivers 20 billion channels of entertainment and information might be the more expensive thing, but that's not how it is. And so the aha is somebody decided that that got designed. We don't just value things. We get taught what to value. And so the legends did not do marketing in any traditional sense. What they did was they wanted to practice what you might consider radical differentiation. Here's a simple question. Who would you rather be, Bob Marley or the 18th greatest reggae band in history? So the, le the legends, where, be they in music, art, science, or of course, entrepreneurship and marketing, broke and took new ground. And they become known for a niche that they own and they create demand, they don't just capture it. And so all of these ideas nested together form a new way of thinking, uh, what Kevin Maney calls a new lens on business. And that lens is called category design. And so this notion that people can be taught how to differentiate things, how to distinguish things, how to value things, and how to prioritize what they spend their time, money, energy, uh, so and so forth, focused on. And so um, that's what category design is fundamentally about, is about radical differentiation so that we become known for a category or a niche that ultimately we can own. And we're not competing, we're actually creating something new, something different. Right. I, I appreciate that clarification coming from one of the authors who wrote the book, <laughs> Play Bigger, and Niche Down, which I enjoyed reading, by the way. Um, so given that that's obviously what it is, um, what it's, if, you know, then what it's not is some, you know, some sort of superficial marketing play trying to come into a market uh, on, on some differentiation that's more surface level, like a product feature or pricing, because then it's the race to the bottom, right? I, I think you've mentioned that in, in the past. What about... Um, who do you really, because you've done this in companies, so who do you need to bring on board sort of the change management leadership 
uh, level type of discussions to make this uh, to make uh, you know a category design be a part of the DNA or embedded into that go-to-market strategy. So yeah. you know, think about all the software companies that are popping up, right? And they're all trying to come in uh, with something better, sometimes in their feature set or pricing or some something that they think is going to be a differentiator when they're absolutely missing the point uh, around category design being the, the the thing that's going to create the demand versus them trying to capture a little bit of demand because their feature or widget is a little bit different than the XYZ competitor or the 8,000 pound gorilla. What, what do you say to that? Who are the folks that need to really be um, part of creating category design within an organization? So um, the first, second, and third most important people are the CEO, the CEO, and the CEO. So the CEO is the category designer. And you can't do this without a CEO who is uh, deeply, deeply committed. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I've been meaning to write a post about this and might do an episode about it. Every year, uh, Gianni, I get asked a few times a year. So this has now been going on for, you know, the better part of 30 years. I'll get an email or a text or something. And somebody I know, a VC or another executive or somebody who's joining a board or whatever, will send me this note. And it's, it's the same every time. Hey, uh, you know, Christopher, I'm doing this thing with blah, blah, blah. I'm involved with this company. And the CEO is a really great technology person or a really great sales kind of ops person. This is typically the background. But they don't get marketing. They don't believe in marketing. And I know if you would spend half an hour to 45 minutes with her or him, you know, they'll get it. Could you please do that? Now, earlier in my career, Johnny, I did that. Now... I don't. It's a waste of time. So the CEO needs to, to believe like she believes in oxygen that there are three things that matter when building a legendary business. Product slash service design, company slash business model design, and category design. And, you know, we call that the magic triangle, right? And if you get all those things right and you get the timing right, then bada bing, bada boom, you become a Zoom as a radical example, right? Um, and so uh, you have to believe that. And if you, if you don't, and I can tell you why you might want to believe that if you're skeptical, I'm okay to have that conversation. But at the end of the day, a CEO needs to believe in her soul that she wants her company to be the one that designs and ultimately dominates this, this category. She wants to be like a Sarah Blakely who refused to have Spanx be called a girdle or a girdle 2.0 or, or even un, an undergarment. These are all category names, right? She said it's a new invention and it's called shapewear and it's a new thing and it's different and it's technology and it's all these descriptors she used, but she refused to let it be categorized by anything that had come before. This is what, 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 um, uh, separates category designers. They do not want to be compared to what came before. They want everyone else to be compared to them. They are the demarcation point. They're setting a new standard. They're creating a, a, a new way of doing things. They're driving what we talk about in Play Bigger, a set of from twos or Frodo's for short. They take, they're taking the world from, we drive to a video store, we show up there, 
They don't have the movie we want. We argue with each other about a second choice. We get that second choice. We return the old video. We pay a stupid late fee. We get in the car pissed off and drive home. That's how it used to be until Netflix showed up and said, well, how about you go to a website, right? And originally they delivered it in the mail. And of course today they're the category designers of a new category of entertainment called streaming. Yes. Uh, and so that's how this works and it works. And, and, and here's the aha. It works this way over and over and over again. And so what you're looking for is a CEO who's deeply committed to being category designer. And of course, the chief marketing officer, of course, whoever's the head of sales or the chief revenue officer, whatever you're calling that person. And of course, the head of products, the CPO, chief product officer, CTO, head of R&D, whatever you call the person that owns the products. Those are key people to be category designers collaborating with the chief executive. And often, you know, if marketing will be the function that uh, drives the cycle called how do we design and dominate a category and lightning strikes and you know all the things we can talk about if you like. And a lot of these things translate into marketing. But here's the aha about category design. It's not a marketing strategy. It's the strategy. Category is the strategy. And here's why. Um, if your product fails, you can still succeed. If your business model doesn't work, you can tweak it and figure out how to make it work and still succeed. If there's no market category, nothing happens. So the category is the single point of failure. No category, no company. There has to be a market before you can do marketing. Category design is about designing the market is about teaching people to, way, the, uh, to think about a problem and a solution in a very particular way, an opportunity and a way to access that opportunity in a, in a very particular way. And when people see the world the way the category designer sees the world, and when enough of those people see it, then the category tips. And now you have a whole new, and ultimately in the tech space, you'll see it as a line item in an IT uh, uh, annual budget. You know, there's a line item in the IT budget called CRM. Well, I'm here to tell you, there didn't used to be that line item in the budget. As a matter of fact, when I started in the CRM business, it wasn't called the CRM business. And it was the furthest thing from anything that was in a line item of any budget, sales, marketing, IT, or anywhere else. It was insanity. What do you mean you automate sales? It's the stupidest thing we ever, you can't even, what are you even talking about? You can't do that. That wasn't that long ago. And now it's a line item in an IT budget and in a sales budget. That's how a category goes from, from an idea that is preposterous because rarely uh, are, are new categories obvious to most. They're obvious in hindsight. Never forget, 10 out of 10 people when surveyed said they'd never pay for water because it's free in the tap. Okay, we just had Kara Golden on my podcast. She's the founder of Hint Water. She's one of the most successful entrepreneurs in, in the country and one of the hot, most high-profile entrepreneurs and female entrepreneurs in the country. She's unbelievable. And she sells bottled water. Right. Yeah, she created, you're right. I, I heard that, uh, that episode and it, it's true to, true to form for category design. She, uh, you know, cr created that knowing from a personal story, which is sort of like she scratched on our age, if I recall correctly, 
around why was she always constantly drinking Diet Coke? She knows it wasn't healthy for her. The tried mineral water, I think she mentioned at a, at, a, at a Whole Foods locally, and then the rest of it is history, right? But it took a lot of work. And obviously she came from a, 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 a background where she worked in a software company. So she knew a thing or two about business and, and marketing and go-to-market strategy and all that. So no, this is all great. And I think, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of uh, a lot of the folks uh, that that uh, that that truly understand categories on, or, or at least feel they do, they'll they'll put into those, uh, you know, uh, companies like Salesforce or uh, you know Tesla, Elon Musk. Uh, that was an example that we that I shared with John, or he shared with me, I should say, around hey, you know, uh, electric cars had been around for hundreds of years. You know, 1902 when the automotive industry started, uh, you know, in 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 uh, in, in Detroit, and uh, you know. In the 50s, 60s, I already had electric cars, but he took electric cars from the hybrids that we know today, the, the you know, the the, the, um, the Paris, uh, Toyota Paris and the Hondas and everything else that came after, but kind of shaped what it would be to get a high performance, uh, luxury type, sports type kind of car, which is what was missing in that, I guess, in that vertical, if you will, in that niche, right? So he was reshaping, to your point, and designing that category. Um, Tesla has. So outside of the, the shaping and the, the new lens um, and making sure, as, as you mentioned, that this, this it all starts from the top. So the C-level, the, the leadership really has to believe it, own it, and then, and then it, it kind of uh, cascades or waterfalls down through the organization. Um, what, are, what are some, you know, in, in your experience, um, some traps to kind of keep an eye out for? as a CEO who let's say is very committed and wants to reshape something that they're seeing as broken in, in the industry and that they wanna offer as a product, what are some of these uh, you know, potential pitfalls that they should be looking out for? A lot of people lately have been talking a lot about category design and I think many of them you know, even truly as a CEO or as a founder wanna get that kind of mentality and, and try to bring the market through category design. But what is also the downside of what potentially could happen or they should be prepared for? So there's two types of downsides we could talk about uh, or problems to look out for there. There's the, there the internal ones, Gianni, around sort of how you get this done inside your organization and launch and all that. If you want to go in that direction, we can go there. Uh, and then, of course, the other obvious one is, you know, what happens if we do this? We design a new category, we launch it, and it doesn't work. Now what? Um, and, and the other, there's a specific in there that's fun that I actually want to spend more time on in the next couple of years, which is um, there's a way to intersect with the existing demand in the existing category and like a dam, say, not there, over here. Mm -hmm. And so there's this notion that category designers create demand, but the the truth is there's, a, there's another component of that that's very powerful, which is they can redirect demand. Um, so anyway, uh, bottom line is what happens when category design fails and, and, and how do you do things internally to deal with the problems that you're gonna face internally? Cause you are going, even if you're the CEO, even if you're the founder CEO, you are going to face problems with people who are on your team when you go to do this, I can promise. Right, so, so give us some examples of what you've seen. For I'll, I'll give you one that I've seen that um, may have, uh, and you had Dave Gerhardt recently, 
And so I've been a, a partner reseller of Drift for some time. So early on, I saw them obviously following the category design playbook to a T, you know, creating the category, making sure Gartner, right? Making sure Gartner has them as a quadrant for a new category, conversational marketing, G2 crowd, all the places where you want to be known for uh, and picked up for in the SaaS B2B world. Uh, and then they did the lightning strikes. They, they, they really built a community, right? Which I think uh, DJ um, and Dave Cancel were very, very uh, instrumental in, in doing so, right? Um, Absolutely legendary job. David Cancel with, of course, at the time, um, Dave Gerhardt and, and, the, and the broader team at Drift have done an absolutely legendary job of category design. They are absolutely on it. And um, I think if you talk to uh, David Cancel, he would tell you that um, being thoughtful about the category has made a very big difference in the success of the company. Yeah, I had the pleasure to, to talk and speak with him at, a little bit at uh, Inbound, HubSpot's conference, uh, not this year, but the year before, obviously. And uh, so, yeah, um, I know that he, he's, you know, him and, and, and DJ, obviously, you know, even at beta or year one, they had very much a mindset of how to come to market as a category design uh, strategy versus, you know, just, just coming in um, as another software player in the chat space, let's say, right? Um, so yeah, and, and, and a lot of, I think, companies that are very astute have been looking at their playbook and following it to some degree. Um, what I guess I'm, I'm also curious from your perspective, uh, for those companies that are founders or, or have the, C, the, C, the CEO on board, um, are, are, are aware that they might get some pushback, right? And then have to somewhat pivot to, to your point of what you're talking about, that redirection that you wanna spend the next couple of years. This year, obviously, it's been an, an, uh, um, um, an outlier with a pandemic, you know, a hundred year old in the making global pandemic. But when you talk about even a, a drift, what I saw happen when the pandemic hit hard, Christopher, is that everyone was now more concerned about um, revenue growth, you know, talking more around the bottom line that their product even started switching a little bit into more than just a conversational chat bot, um, which might have seen been seen as a nice to have, and yes, it's aligned with sales and all that, and removed the friction and they created a category that had fantastic growth. But I noticed sort of very sub sub you know subtle changes within the platform that were all signals around. We know how important these next you know eight months. And this was the beginning right of the pandemic, are going to be around CFOs. Um, shareholder value and, you know, and VCs thinking about what's the bottom line we're going to look like in the next seven or eight months and what tools can these software companies create within their platforms that are going to be addressing that. So they changed to a revenue accelerator platform. In fact, they even named it that, right? So I want to get your, intake, your input on that. And is that sort of that shift you're talking about where you can be known as a category design leader when and then you start sort of shifting from that true north to address another opportunity within the market, uh, which you may be able to recreate a category from it, or is that something different? I was just pulling up their website to see what it says. So it says introducing the Drift Revenue Acceleration Platform. Yes. So yeah, it looks like they've done a hard turn away from conversational marketing to revenue acceleration. 
Um, so I wasn't aware of that. Um, without knowing more than just looking at the homepage and hearing you tell me, it's hard to have an opinion. Um, what I do know is if you are going to change your category design, which is what it looks like they've now done, um, there is no other decision in the life of a company that is more important than that. There are decisions that are as important of that as that. Of course there are. But the decision called um, how are we going to design and dominate a market category that matters, um, that's the question. That's what we get paid to do. And we know, Gianni, because we did the data science research for Play Bigger. It was published in the Harvard Business Review uh, after analyzing every tech startup founded in the United States from 20, uh, 2000 to 2015 and sort of studying what happens as the market categories take off to the valuations and market caps of the companies in the space, we were able to measure how much of the space of the value of the category goes to the category queen, category king, the leader. And it turns out that that number is 76%. So one company earns two thirds of the total market cap created by all the companies in the category on average. So we know that. So if you're drift, if you're gonna make this decision, what you have to be looking at is, okay, we have uh, designed and dominated a market category called conversational marketing. It is that category has driven our growth to wherever they are. I, I don't know. I don't know. I have no, I have no inside knowledge other than being friendly with uh, David Cancel, but I'm not involved with the company in any way. Um, so I don't know what their numbers are or any of that, but the assessment you've got to make is that um, the, the cat, we have exploited the category that we're in. And here's the aha, and I can give you a specific example if you like. Yeah. There comes a time in the life of every CEO where she realizes that their current category is their biggest barrier to future success. And normally the reason for that is they start off in a fairly niche, super tight category. They, they grow that category. They begin to become the category queen, the company that's going to take two-thirds of the economics. But they can see that, A, the category is going to kind of tap out at a certain point. That is to say that the total addressable market, the TAM, is going to start to sort of even out, and that's going to hurt their growth. That's point A. Point B, the other thing that people often see sometimes is um, – our category might be under siege from adjacent categories. And so in order to make sure we don't become a feature in somebody else's platform, we better make sure that people don't view us as a feature. They view us as a platform or they view us as a standalone strategic category with a reason to be, et cetera, et cetera. So those are the kinds of things typically, and there's others we can talk about if you like, but th there's a number of factors in sort of, uh, looking at where you are in the life cycle of the category you designed and the adjacencies and making a decision now is the time. And uh, it's a tough, tough decision. It's been one I've, it's been one I've sat um, through many, many times and, and made uh, one way or another many times. Um, and boy, I'll tell you, Johnny, when you get it right, boy, does it feel good. And when yeah. you get it wrong, you've ruined the company. 
I can't imagine. It, it, I, I love that you, the way you framed that, right? So the adjacencies and sort of the life cycle of category design. I, I love that you're seeing it that way because I think that that does happen, obviously, right? Um, marketplaces are evolving. Um, outside factors, so not just the, the actual, you know, the, the macroeconomics and microeconomics of what this pandemic has meant, I think has led to accelerations in certain industries. For example, telemedicine, okay, it's been around for 20 plus years, as you, as you and I both know, right? But because of this pandemic, it got accelerated. So Peladoc is having, you know, probably the, the best revenue years it's had in the last five years. Competitors that might've been niche players, and I have two down here in, in my backyard, one's called Modernizing Medicine, Another one's called um, uh, um, MD Live. They really accelerated their telemedicine, um, you know, kind of uh, sales and strategy, and, and and because of the need, right? So I think that life cycle that you just mentioned is true. Everything has sort of a shelf life. And for Drift, I think that they they saw they're very smart, they're astute. They have executives that have been you know founders and played with in big companies as big big contributors like HubSpot and others. And so I think they saw that um, an example is Gong.io, which I know Dave Gerhard mentioned to you about them, uh, I think on, on your episode. Um, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're, they got a, a 2 billion valuation, uh, a CD, you know, uh, I think 200 million in defunding, 2.2 uh, valuation. And their, their whole thing is in a re revenue intelligence platform based on uh, basically all the data that uh, AI data is capturing that gets captured from calls, sales calls, in essence, right? So I think to your point, you know, companies that are very, um, you know, in line with marketing and sales alignment in terms of a platform are looking at how are they going to be able to capture more of the, I would say the wallet, but also strategically to not be seen as a feature that's a nice to have, but you know what, you know, the CFOs, I'm sure many of them, when the pandemic started and even VCs, they got to do their due diligence, right? They, everyone was probably looking at where can we, you know, um, either allocate, reallocate budget or where we, we may need to literally cut budget to, to keep uh, the lights on, keep sales teams, keep dev teams growing, that sort of thing. So I, I think that could have been part of it, but I love that you're saying that there is also this sort of life cycle that you have to be aware if you're a category designer and figuring out the adjacencies that might impact that and how do you continue to be become uh, continue to be seen as a category leader by maybe making these small pivots, uh, micro pivots, but without maybe going to the the extreme of all of a sudden losing your your kind of place uh, within where you know within that category that you might have created. Is that sort of what you're you're getting to with your analysis there? Yeah, I, I think so. I think what people are trying to do when they do this is, and you sort of hit on it right there, Johnny. Um, I hear this all the time. You know, our problem is we're too much of a vitamin and not enough of an aspirin. Okay, well, when you say that, you have a category design problem, right? Because what you're saying is people don't value and prioritize your category of service or product. And so to your point, in a pandemic where there's a recession and we have to cut stuff, we cut the stuff that feels more nice to have and we try to save the stuff that feels more must to have and part of category design is making the world think that your shit is a must have, right? I.e. an aspirin, not a vitamin. And so in the case of Drift, um, you know, uh, they might have, and I have no idea. Like I said, I just found this out in real time with you, but being associated right now with driving revenue, probably not a dumb thing. 
you know, and uh, I don't know David Cancel that well, but I know him well enough to know not a dumb guy, far from it. So, and then the other thing, you know, it reminds me years ago back when we uh, helped Macromedia do this, you know, they were one of the most important software companies in the world. And they had this product called Flash. And Flash had become ubiquitous with what people put on their homepage because it was a, it was a rich media um, uh, design tool is sort of what people thought of it as. Um, well, the problem was that idea, i.e. the category of rich media on the internet became sort of a toy, a fluffy thing. And I'll never forget talking to the CEO, Rob Burgess. If you remember websites back in those times, they would have this flash animation thing going and right next to it, there'd be this button that said, skip intro. And everybody would go to the website, they'd see this animated flash thing, they go, ah, fuck that. And they'd hit skip intro to get to the content, the, 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 the sort of standard HTML content. And so Rob Burgess said to me, you know, our, our, one of our fears is that we're gonna turn into the skip intro company. And so we repositioned the company around a new category design and we called them rich internet applications. So it wasn't rich media toys anymore. It was actually a new category of application called RIAs. And within about a year and a half of launching the category, uh, analysts at Goldman Sachs were tracking the rich internet applications category. Can you hold on a sec, Gianni? I got to run. Hold Very nice, Chris. I see you've you got have a not. Well, you are not going to believe what my little friend did. Okay, so this Gianni is Bean. Bean. He's five. He's five months old, and he's my little buddy. It's so cute. And isn't he adorable? And yeah, he's a rescue. He a, is he a rescue or a mixed cat? I'm trying to look at it. He looks a little like a. He's a. They call them tabbies. Tabbies. But he he's a yeah he's a mutt and he's a rescue. He was a. Um, my brother-in-law and niece, my 12-year-old niece, found him and his uh, siblings, uh, four or five of them, um, uh, in a bush. Wow. And they were sick and dying. And anyway, and so here he is. And he likes to hang out in the studio with me. And yeah, I'll tell you what just happened. What happened? So there are these small windows uh, on this side of the studio. Okay. And um, when, I'm, when I'm doing a podcast... Uh, you know, I shut the windows and doors, but I leave the small ones open to get a little bit of airflow in and yeah. the mics and, and all that stuff. You know, we, we get most of that noise out of the, he's doing it again. <laughs> so here's what happens. He fucking jumps out the window and the studio is on. Hold on a sec. Bean, let me just make sure he can't get out. <laughs> and so the studio is on top of the garage. Mm -hmm. So when he got out of the window, he's on the roof. So now I got a five-month-old kitten on the roof. Yeah. And I'm sure you're like, like that to hear a, a tragic story about that or your niece, uh, you know. Who, or any, or me. Or even and so the good news is he's like a dog. He comes, he comes when he's called. So I'm calling him and he plays fetch with me. And he has these little toy m mice and we got a million of them. And I'll be sitting there watching TV or working on my computer and he'll jump on me and he'll throw this thing at me and we play fetch. He does this with me and my wife in bed 
he plays fetch like a dog and we put him on a leash and we take him for what he's, he's a dog. That's a cat. Anyway. He's, so I called him and he came and luckily I had one of these little mice and I did that and I was able to get him back in the house off the freaking roof. <laughs> I love this. I'm going to have to add this on the show notes and like a behind the scenes, Chris, Christopher, if you don't mind, because I think that, uh, you helping uh, one, a rescued cat, but then helping him from, from danger, you know, is, is something people don't, you know, the behind the scenes, especially for those that have given you these weird reviews as of late. You know, I, lo I love how The Economist put like off-putting the sum. And then the other day when you had that person that I don't know, for, for some reason thought that your profanity was just like not necessary or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it was really, actually. Uh, fucking hilarious. So yeah, we'll, we'll have to put this, that will be like, oh my goodness, Christopher, Lockhead does have a very, very soft side to him. He just got done, you know, helping a, a rescue cat from uh, from using one of their, their seven lives. Or is it nine lives, nine lives, right? Yeah, I yeah, just so. saved the rescue cat that we saved and rescued. I think, there you go. <laughs> That's will be the headline. I'll, I'll send it over to Cole Schaefer. I'm sure he'll make something brilliant out of it. Like, yes. You know, just <laughs> save the cat he just saved and added another life for his nine lives. But no, exactly. this is great. Both of you, you and I think, and maybe your wife, uh, my wife shares the same affinity towards um, uh, love of animals. Uh, you know, I, I named my podcast, uh, uh, obviously, uh, Smart Chickens for a reason. We, we, we have a, a horse, mini horse. We have uh, some chickens that we have where the stable at. And I know you've had your hens uh, on your show before, right? Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting how we all, um, outside of our, you know, kind of our, 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 our professional persona, we have affinity towards other things that, that make us sort of whole and complete and put a smile on our face. So I, I'm glad to see the, the little cameo, which I will definitely keep of, you called him Benny or? Bean, like jelly bean. Bean, bean, okay. Bean, or like Boston, bean town. Well, there you go, bean town. Yeah. Speaking of, the, of, of, of towns, maybe this we can shift a little bit towards a bit of your origin story and your personal story. So I found it fascinating when I was reading Niche Down um, you were talking about your, your, you know, being a solopreneur, uh, being from Canada, you know, um, trying to make an entrepreneurship work. Um, but even before they're kind of having that fork in the road, whereas you could have stayed working as an orderly in the hospital where your mother uh, helped you get a, a job um, and or, you know, what can I do as an entrepreneur to get out? And I want you to kind of gleam in, in that or, you know, lean in that a little bit. Uh, especially for those right now that are, might be in going through that, right? They're going through, they got furloughed, very real, right? Or they're in a mid-career mid, mid sort of crisis where they're like, I'm not moving up. Maybe I should try the solopreneur um, um, route. What, what are some of your insights based on your origin story that you can shed? Well, the first thing I'd share is that um, no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, we always have choice we always have agency to decide how we are going to deal with it. Um, and for me, you know, like you said, um, I started my first company at 18. Um, I got thrown out of school, so I don't have a high school diploma. Um, and uh, for me, entrepreneurship was not a way up in the world. It was a way out, a way out of a life of struggle and manual labor and, and so forth. And so I think for many entrepreneurs, that's what entrepreneurship is. It's a way to bet on yourself when literally nobody will bet on you. And, you know, we just, you mentioned, we talked about Kara Golden. She started Hint with 
you know, and I know that sounds like a lot of money to some people, but starting a company that has become what that company has become with 50 grand is, is a pretty powerful trick. And the technology we have today means that there's never been a greater time to start a company. There's never been a great, greater time to be a small e entrepreneur. Um, there's never, we, could, we, could, we can bring together resources from all around the world digitally. Um, and, and we're going to be digitally uh, distanced from each other for quite some time. And so I guess my point in all of that is no matter what our circumstances are, you know, I was a young man with no experience, no relationships, no money. Um, I didn't have a car. I mean, like no, nothing, not a zero, not a nothing. Right. And so if you can start there and start building companies and create a career for yourself and make money and hopefully make a difference for others and learn and grow and then help learn and grow others and create jobs and go public and, you know, participate, at least in my case, in this incredible thing that we call Silicon Valley and, and the, the legendary IT revolution we've had over the last 40 or 50 years. And of course, now the internet and the cloud and all of it, you know, you can just decide to go for that shit or whatever your shit is, right? Um, you know, when I started in as an author and a podcaster, Gianni, I started from zero. I was, uh, I think I was 46 years old when Play Bigger came out, right? And, and you know, now we're in the top 1% of business books ever published. Absolutely. And I was nowhere in podcasting. I had no experience in being in the media business or any of that stuff, right? And, uh, number one on the Apple charts, the Apple business charts, right? We, we have the ability to do these things. And so, um, I would just say, look, I know it's been a bitch of a year. It has been for all of us. And I'll tell you the last 14 months have been the worst in my life, independent of C19 and everything that happened around C19. Yeah. I know, I know you've had some very, very rough fam, uh, a, a friend. Uh, passing away uh, due to a horrible crime. And I know that, you know, um, you also had a, a loved one in your family, your, your brother-in-law, with a very, uh, you know, um, just a, a, a horrible accident um, that, that has, you know, devastated your family, I'm sure, and still has. So I, I agree. And, and that's why, to be honest with you, a lot of my, me following you over the last year or so, outside of the great guests and a great conversation, I see a humanity that that I think a, a medium like this podcast um, brings to people. Right? Um, we all get so in our own space, in our own head about either our career or our uh, you know aspirations. Uh, but it's very nice to to have uh, a, a way to tune in when you want to go into your point about podcasts and to getting a little bit of a lift. Right? Listening to a podcast and the perspective. Uh, of your guests or even your own having gone through what you've gone through this last 14 minutes, months, but still been able to do your pod storm, still being a, a true, com, you know, contributor um, in, on, on LinkedIn, on, on, you know, on, on your follow your different podcasts. It, it's, it's encouraging, you know, and, and it's, uh, it, and this is not just to butter you up, but it really has, it, it helped me launch this podcast that I've been scratching. I've been wanting to scratch the itch for a long time. And uh, after hearing a few of yours, I said, oh, shit, you know, there's never going to be a perfect time for anything. I'm in my 40s. You know, I've got a three-year-old, uh, a 45, like you're, uh, when you started, basically, 45, 46. And, uh, you know, I've got two young boys. It's been a bitch of a year for everyone, like you said. Um, some worse than others, right, for sure. 
And so we have to have, I think, a bit of gratitude um, to, to the things we do have, to your point. It, you're right, it has never been an easier time than in history, perhaps. People might want to argue on the equity of venture capitalists to start a startup, but for sure, you have a better chance to be a founder and maybe try to get in the game uh, than, than would have been 40 years ago or uh, 30 years ago. Um, having said that, I think, and I have heard you say this often, there's still a bit of inequities, uh, both, ver both in capital, you know, for founders or people of color, you know, black entrepreneurs, um, Latin entrepreneurs, what have you. And that's changing. I mean, I know that there's been, and I know you're part of that with that other podcast that you have with, with the Conscious VC, um, that people would have said, well, that's an uh, oxymoron, you know, <laughs> to have that be titled that. Uh, so I, I want to, you know, personally thank you because I think you have been uh, a nice little beacon of light and hope to folks that are really trying to think about, you know, how to launch something on their own, um, be unapologetic about it as you are <laughs> known for, uh, and still be very um, human in, in, in sharing a little bit of your story. Because I know you shared it in a podcast about what, what happened. And so, you know, my, my prayers are still with you and your family that I'm sure are still going through this. And you put on a brave face, you know, so I, uh, my hat goes off to you for doing that, Christopher. Uh, well, thank you. That, that's kind of you to say. And um, I think we've seen something this year that's interesting. Uh, my dear friend Dushka Zapata, who is just incredible, very worth following on LinkedIn. And, and if you're on Quora, she's a must. She might be number one, but she's certainly one of the top Quora writers. I think she's one of the greatest writers. Yeah, she is. I've We're connected with her because of you. And she is very kind and an incredible writer from the, the things that I've read already. And so recently she posted this fascinating thing. She started her new job. Uh, so she's a writer and she's a PR uh, communications guru. That's how I met her. <clears throat> and, uh, and so she has these sort of two lives that connect and disconnect and, and she's this magical creature from another place. Um, and um, anyway, so long story longer, she posted this thing recently, Gianni, on um, LinkedIn, where she talked about the fact that she started at her new company sort of as the pandemic was hitting and the lockdowns were happening and so forth. And so she's never met in person her colleagues. But she was talking about some of the positive upsides of sort of Zoom relationships because she sees her, her colleague's husband walking in the background or she learns that her colleague has a a terrier or she sees what the kitchen looks like and she sees a, a kid in the background doing so, you know et cetera et cetera because so now we have these windows into people's lives and um you know isn't that isn't that sort of endearing and so i guess my point is the following i have always rejected this notion of your personal life and your professional life Right. Or this other stupid concept. Well, you need to try to get some work life balance. You know, work 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 life balance, I reject contextually because there's no balance. Okay. There's your life and there's shit you do in your life. End of discussion. And if you want to have a discussion about the kinds of shit you do in your life, let's have that. But I'm the same person all the time, and so are you. And so this, you know some of us of a certain vintage were taught, well, you have to be professional at work and 
you know, you don't make friends with the people that you work with and all this sort of other stuff. It turns out that's all garbage. Many, like a disproportionate number of the most legendary relationships in my life came through meeting people you work with. If you're, if you're somebody who's deeply committed to your work and your work isn't just about making money, it's about part of how you make a difference in the world, how you connect in the world, how you contribute, how you create, how you collaborate. You know, the human monkey is a monkey that likes to be around other monkeys doing shit that makes the monkeys happy and interested, right? These things matter uh, beyond just a paycheck and paychecks matter a lot too, of course. And so work-life balance makes it seem like it's not all one thing. It is all one thing. So all that said, I think we're at an era now more than ever where people want to do business with people. It's okay. You know, if your kid's sick and you can't make the meeting, you can just say, Hey, my kid's sick. I got to go do something. I get it. You know, if somebody in your life dies and you're, and you're in pieces, but you're trying to move projects forward at work or do your thing. Well, fucking A, we have to let our colleagues know, hey, I'm broken right now and I'm doing my best, right? Or my mom's sick or whatever. We, we, we got to be human beings with each other. Now, in a business context, it's no excuse for not producing results. Now, in the short term, you may need a break. If something horrible happens in your life, your health, something happens, something happens to somebody you love, you may need time off. That's fine. And you may come back slowly. That's fine too. But um, ultimately in business, we get paid to produce results, but at the same time, we're human beings. Yeah, no, I love that. I love what you're saying about that. And I, I'm glad you're bringing this whole work-life balance because if, you know, if there's been a bit of an upside, you know, we know that the pandemic has accelerated some businesses. It's funny on one of your episodes, you sort of, I forget who you had as a guest that said sort of like, you know, some had, uh, had the magic wand kind of like waved over them, like a zoo, you know, IPO. Uh, like a gone.io, like, you know, with a two, two, uh, you know, 500 million D series fund and 2.2 uh, billion evaluate valuation. Sorry. So you're right. But for, for those outside of just, you know, you know, companies and the accolades and whatever, just in regular life, people I think have had to be exposed to this other window, like you said, and has opened our eyes to a bit more of gratitude and also empathy. Right. So I think I think a lot of a lot of that those sort of soft skills that that people sometimes have to guard themselves when they're at work because at work you've got to be you know or you've been trained I'm in my 40s I'm on the fourth floor so I, I get what you're saying we were kind of trained this whole go to college or don't but then go up you know go into a company and work your way up and you know my my you know cross your t's dot your eyes mind your manners uh, but I think because of this opening into uh, our real life uh, you know having children in the background or or, or the craziness that just happens now that we're all living this very connected uh, and exposed kind of uh, work and life bleeds so much that you do have to start sharing a sense of empathy, I think is the word I'm, I'm thinking uh, around that, whether you're the leader, especially if you're the leader of a company, right? Most companies have gone distributed. Now to your point of, uh, when you had Ms. Miss, uh, Miss on, she talked about how that pendulum might swing back Right, like right now we have maybe uh, starting to see, uh, or we, we have, we're starting to see uh, some of this distributed remote teams going back to being able to go back to the office once a week, twice a week, what have you, right? For those that needed to. Uh, but I, I think you're right about this whole uh, perspective 
uh, or this lens of how this work and life balance now is not a work life balance. It never has been, but really is a, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, 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 it's a way, of, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're in the knowledge economy, right? For those of us that are lucky enough to be in the knowledge economy. So it's going to be like this now and moving into the full, into the future in terms of having the availability to always be on. And so one might think that, you know, there's the nine to five, there isn't a nine to five anymore. I think now, you know, if, if you operate your biorhythms are that you're a night owl, and I don't know if you are Christopher, and maybe at like new, midnight to 3 a.m. in the morning, you're coming up with brilliant legendary stuff and shit to talk about and guests to go after and, 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 and all those things. It might not be the same for someone who might be an early bird who likes to rather get up at you know 5 30 in the morning and put in their work at six at the end of the day i think businesses and leaders are coming to the conclusion that they don't need to be micromanaging you and, and watching you clock in and clock out and and not understanding that you have a life beyond the nine to five and that if you respect that and if you embrace that you start building a more trust with your with your your team your leaders and I see companies like Drift has done that. Um, Twitter obviously announced it at the beginning. Um, there are certain companies that take a culture, and I don't know if this is also part of category design, by the way, but it seems to me that those that come with this category design mentality and want to become a unicorn, they think about how to change and be perceived differently, not just from their product, but even to their hiring, their workforce talent, and how they treat them, right? So Drift has done it. I've seen uh, other companies like I'll see they're sort of category designers in the B2B software space really embrace this whole distributed, uh, you know, uh, blending of your life and work so that no one feels that sort of obligation or that micromanaging. Um, and, and, and Cole Schaefer actually is working for a company that's, that's very much about, uh, about that, um, leon.co. Uh, um, and they're about you know, helping, uh, especially sales teams avoid burnout. And it's because of this, their, their, their founder who I had on the podcast, Brian Smith, he talks about, you know, he, this guy trained professional athletes, you know, that went to the Olymp uh, track and field in the Olympics in Rio. And so he knows the data behind how to be, be at your best as an athlete in terms of performance. The same thing comes with, with, um, you know, your workforce. If you if you're you know if you're in an environment where you just are constantly feeling the grind and the hustle and the kind of micromanaging of what have you done what haven't you done which I know we all have to perform and if we're a publicly traded company we every quarter or near it or end of month we have to think about the do the Wall Street waltz right and and and, and understand that the numbers count but this whole idea of burnout is real and I think when you layer a pandemic a recession. Um, a tr total transformation of how we were interacting and doing things, especially in the B2B space, that this, you know, could be a, a, a nice recipe for burnout. And so when you're able to open the doors and be empathetic and realize that there's a lot of things that are happening outside of work, uh, and you're seeing it literally now because you're on a Zoom call, like you said, and you see it, that there's got to be a sense of responsibility from leadership to, to lead by example around that. And I, I've seen a few companies, like I said, do that. Uh, but I think still there's gonna be some laggards that are gonna still wanna do the micromanaging thing, even if you're on Zoom, like shared calendars and other things, right? W what are your thoughts about that? I think where category design and culture intersect is um, category designers by definition 
are what Eddie Yoon describes as missionaries. And he makes the distinction between a missionary and a mercenary. And uh, uh, of course, a missionary will crawl through flaming you know, uh, glass to achieve her mission because she cares about it. Uh, Elon Musk has famously said that if um, that the mission of Tesla is to get us off of fossil fuels, and that if that happens and Tesla as a company fails, then they will have been successful. Here comes my buddy Bean. <laughs> Hi, buddy. I, I love the cameo. We're going to keep it. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to stick his ass right in the camera. Come here, buddy. Um, and so, so I think what happens is category designers, by definition, are on a mission to make a difference, right? They're bringing, they're creating something new. Uh, and so if you're a missionary category designer, what that means from a culture point of view is you attract people who want to be part of the mission. And if you're stoked by that mission, you have a, a cultural fit because you care about the same things. Ultimately, that's what culture is about. It's about sort of making it clear, this is what's important around here and this is what's not important around here. It's about making judgment calls, right? That's, that's, that's what a culture is. It's a, that's why they talk about core values. We care about this, not so much about that, you know? And so, and so if we're on a mission, what's that mission? That mission then tends to drive a set of core values, which is the foundation of a culture. And um, category designers, if they're creating something new, they're moving the world from the way it is to the way they think it should be. They're solving a problem in a way that's never been solved before or thought of that way before. They're accessing an opportunity that uh, others didn't see, that once they see leads to great things. However you want to frame that, but they're up to fucking something. They're not a bunch of management consultants sitting around with blue button down shirts and pleated khaki pants looking at spreadsheets going, well, there seems to be a lot of growth in the carbodingulator market here, Jim. Uh, maybe we should enter the market with a Me Too product and try to compete, you know, which is what uh, how a lot of companies view things. That's a that's a um, that is a mercenary headset. So that's, to me, the intersection is category designers are missionaries. The mission drives culture, uh, which is predicated on a set of things that we care about, which are really core values. And that really gives us a true North grounding for the company. Uh, I love that. I love the way you have, you just stacked it all together and, and, and kind of unpack that uh, because I've seen it with Drift for sure. Drift, they've got, you know, such a, a following in a community. And I've been part of that. And it's because of that, you know, it came from the top, the category of design, and then the way they, they came out to market with DG and DC's lightning strikes and everything else they did. And then you see it, uh, per, you know, it just the kind of waterfall down to their customer service folks, their dev team, um, their, their sales team and partner team even. So great. I'm, I'm loving that you're bringing that together because I think it'll send a big picture of what category design is outside of just, you know, owning and being legendary on in, in, a, in a category, right? Um, so just kind of to wrap it up, because I know I could talk with you for hours and, and see Dean come in and out or cameos, <laughs> but I know you're a busy, <laughs> busy man as well, uh, Christopher. So I've got three uh, uh, lightning questions. Um, I always have fun a little bit with my guests. Um, you know, I, I'm in my 40s, so I followed Back to the Future franchise. I don't know if you're a fan of the Back to the Future franchise. And so one of the questions that I have is you, if you were able to jump on, you know, the DeLorean with uh, Doc and Marty and go back in time 
Um, what would you tell a younger Christopher Lockhead uh, without disrupting the time uh, continuum, you know, because you can have repercussions from that, but what would you do either different or not? Uh, or what would you just say to a younger Christopher? Um, you know, I'm not one to look back and say with a lot of shoulda, coulda, wouldas. I mean, of course, we all do that from time to time, but I don't, I don't carry that around with me um, because I did what I did and whatever happened, happened, and it led to where things are today. And I'm very fortunate um, and grateful to be, um, you know, ha have the people around me that I have and, and enjoy the life that I get to enjoy. So I don't really think about it in that context, Johnny. I think what I might say is um, um, there's a great Counting Crows song called Long December. Oh, and there's yeah. a lyric in the song where Adam sings, I try to hold on to these moments as they pass. And so, you know, I traveled two to 400,000 miles a year on a plane and uh, I worked easily 80 hours a week for the better part of 20 years. Um, and I, like I said, I don't have any negative feelings about that, but um, you know, there are moments you look back on taking a company public and pressing the button at NASDAQ or, you know, the launch of your book or uh, incredible acquisition that we did or getting on the cover of a major magazine or launching a product that you're incredibly proud of, or, you know, in my case, kicking the shit out of competitors. And I'd just love to do that. And, um, and probably the thing that is the most gratifying in my career now is the opportunity to make a difference, to contribute. I, I really, as corny as it might sound to some, and I didn't know this coming up, Gianni, that if you were lucky enough to get to a place where you achieve some things and you'd learn some things and you'd synthesize some things um, that, that here's how I say it today. If you're lucky enough to get to the top of a mountain, throw down a fucking rope. <laughs> and so I just I feel that. fortunate to be in a position to throw down a rope. My whole sort of motivation in, in the work that I do today is to throw down, um, you know, as many ropes and as long of, of a rope as possible because uh, the reality is, is being an entrepreneur, being a marketer, being in the tech industry, uh, moving to the United States, these were all miracles in my life. And I have been able to, for the most part, design a life for myself that um, is a gift. And so I think if you're lucky enough um, and you have some things to share, then you should try to throw down that rope. And so I think, you know, I would just tell myself to hold on to these moments as they pass, uh, to maybe not take any specific thing quite as seriously as I might have, because of course you don't remember most of the things that you were ready to punch people in the face about or punch yourself in the face about. Um, um, and so that would be it. Just hold on to these moments as they pass and, uh, don't get overly excited about something in a negative way because uh, that'll probably pass too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, lo I love that. I love the whole uh, send down the ropes and you've been kind enough and you send me down a rope about a year and a half ago, believe it or not, when I was thinking about podcasting, you just sent me a nice email, LinkedIn email, uh, I mean, message saying, you know, go for it, be yourself, 
Um, so I, I appreciate that. I know you've done that uh, for a lot of folks, not just myself, Cole Schaefer as well, incredible copywriter of, of uh, Honeyco and, uh, and others. Yeah, so, so that's great. And, and you're, you're, you're actually you know, practicing what you preach, which is nice too. It's not a, to your point, you're not a you know, porn store uh, guru trying to <laughs> make millions and, and draw attention to yourself for, for, for books and, and, and other things you've done in your career. So I appreciate that, the authenticity. Um, and then the last two quick that I had for you was, you know, how many hours of sleep do you get uh, so that you can be at your optimal? Yeah, I get a good night's sleep most nights. You know, I get seven to eight hours sleep. Eight's probably a bit much, but, you know, somewhere between six and a half and seven and a half most nights. And um, I go to bed pretty early and I get up pretty early. I'm up most days at five or sometimes even 430 and that's great thinking time for me. It's great uh, workout slash training time for me. Um, but yeah, I get a good night's sleep most nights. That's good. That's great. And then the last one is everyone wants to get 1% better. And I think leaders are readers. And obviously you're a two-time author. So you're not just a reader, you're actually an author. So you fucking blew it out of the water. You overachieved in that point. But what, what, what books have you read that have made you 1% better? Um, and they don't have to be business books only, but what would you what would you say? Yeah, so I would I would nudge you on this one. Um, I'm not sure the, I'm not that interested in one percent better. I'm uh, well, there are things where you make incremental changes that are positive, and I'm not I don't negate incremental changes. Uh, in general, in my life, that's not where my head's at. I'm more interested in exponential things. Um, you know, it really depends on the domain. I mean, early in my career, Gianni, there were a handful of books that I read. Uh, Ogilvy on advertising probably being a really big one. Uh, I read a ton of Peter Drucker as somebody who's dyslexic and has dyscalculia and all these other learning differences. Uh, I remember reading the, the Effective Executive, and that was just very helpful in terms of how do I structure the way I think about what I want to get done and keeping track of my own ass and so forth and so on. And so there were books along those lines. I love, there's a book that I think is out of print, but you can still get written by a guy named Mark McCormick. He's the founder of IMG and really the category designer of the, the sports agent category. And his book, uh, What They Don't Teach You at Harvard Business School is a great um, guerrilla business book. Uh, of course, Al Reese and Jack Trout are, are, are the OGs of positioning and positioning of course is um is the precursor to category design and so uh always always acknowledge the incredible contributions and inspirations of the uh, that they have made uh, to me but really to to so many um you know and then on the personal side you know as a kid um victor frankel meant a lot to me man's search for meaning as a teenager before that uh i remember reading catcher in the rye and thinking okay i'm not the only one uh, and then uh, more recently, you know, I love um, Bill Walton's book, um, Back from the Dead. Bill Walton is an absolutely legendary American treasure, and he has much to teach us, and he's highly entertaining and engaging. Uh, and then super recently, books this year, um, we just did two episodes recently that with authors that really stand out. Um, one of them is Bruce Feiler. And he's a New York Times number one bestseller. And his new book is called Life is in the Transitions. And it's a stunner. Uh, and yeah, his, I, I heard that episode and it was very good. And uh, you yeah. also had your, uh, who was, uh, sorry, I interrupted. Who was the other person okay. you mentioned, the other author? Uh, Ryan Holiday, his new book. 
uh, Lives of the Stoics. Absolutely outstanding. We just had him on the podcast, one of our most popular episodes ever. He's an incredibly um, intelligent, articulate, compelling uh, younger author. And he has taken his niche down is he's taken to studying the great philosophers, the Senecas, uh, the, you know, the Stoics, and synthesizing and presenting it in a way that's super compelling, but yet super on track. Uh, and so he's this history philosophy guy who's making it cool and consumable today. And if he was your philosophy history teacher, uh, most of us would have hung out in philosophy history class for a lot longer. And I think guys like Bruce, um, guys like Ryan um, are giving us tools that are timeless, but also happen to come out um, you know, at a particular time in the, in the life of the world that's powerful. On the more business side, you know, we just had Kara Golden on. We talked about she's got a great new book out called Undaunted. And uh, she's a legendary, inspiring human being and entrepreneur. Um, uh, we just had Robert. Um, shit, what's his last name? He built, um, he built Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, um, that was a great episode, by the way. I love yeah, let me that get his name. I'm having a. He really gets into the whole. Dynamic. Rosenberg, Robert Rosenberg. And his new book is called, uh, uh, it's an amazing, amazing book. And it was a great episode, by the way, Christopher. I loved uh, the dynamics when he talked about his family, because it's a family business from his father to him. And yeah. How he transitioned it. Um, uh, so yeah, it, it was a great episode. I enjoyed listening. Thank to you. It. The book's called Around the Corner and Around the World. And it's the story of how he built <laughs> Dunkin, Donuts. Um, Dunkin Donuts and, and, I just love meeting him and I enjoyed his book very much. And so those are a few that are sort of recent episodes with recent, you know, big time authors um, that I've, I've particularly enjoyed. No, fantastic. We're gonna have, by the way, we're having Dushka Zapata back on very soon. So oh, that's great. Um, I'll be looking for like it on your, follow your different website uh, for sure. And on LinkedIn when you post. Um, the one last question is, thinking of yourself as a bit of a futurist, because I think when you're a category designer, you are a bit of a futurist because you're looking at it in a futuristic lens. Um, you know, it's easy to do the, 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 be the, the, uh, the, Monday, the Monday night quarterback, right? It's easy to look backwards, but not necessarily future. What are you seeing in the future? Um, and let me ask you a little bit about podcasting because I'm, I'm thinking podcasting as a channel um, of a new channel for demand gen and communication is one that's been around for a while, but what do you see in the future in podcasts? I love that you brought up that podcasting could have and should have been used, not to get political, but maybe in the political debates, the backle that we had this year in an election year, uh, to make these authentic conversations like the one we just had. What do you see in the future state of, of, of podcasting for like B2B and demand gen or in general? Well, in general or in specific, or, and we could talk, there's a, a few things around the demand gen thing that we, if you want, we can get into. But um, in general, uh, I think the future of podcasting is incredible. Uh, I think we're in the early days. There's only about 2 million podcasts. Um, and, you know, here's the thing I hear all the time. Oh, well, is it too late? You know, did I miss it? I'm like, okay, well, um, I'll give you an example. I have a friend whose name is Melanie Gideon. And Melanie is a legendary New York Times best-selling fiction writer. And she's known primarily for what they call chick lit, but she's expanding and she's got a new book coming out this summer that's a thriller that's going to light up the world. 
Anyway, she's unbelievable. Legendary author. Now, here's what Melanie didn't say. Well, you know, this, there's this guy, Bill Shakespeare, who people say is the greatest, uh, the greatest writer of all time, uh, fiction writer of all time. And so Bill wrote all the books, all the plays. So fuck it, I'm not going to write anything. Same thing in music, right? Paul McCartney, greatest songwriter of all time. On any metric you want to talk about, starting with units sold and then anywhere else you want to go, right? Right. So in the last couple of years, we've had a, a handful of really great, Jesus Christ, me. <laughs> we've had a, a handful of really legendary artists come, come out, right? Um, Adele, uh, more sure. recently, this gal Lizzo, who I think is really fun, and so many others, right? Well, here's, yes. here's, what, here's what doesn't happen. Adele doesn't sit there and go, oh, fuck. Paul McCartney is the greatest singer-songwriter, uh, musical rock performer, pop performer of all time. I'm not going to record these records because, you know, how can, I, how can I compete with that? that? All that is pure insanity. Yeah. And so if you want to do a podcast, if you have something to say, if you have something to contribute, if you have an area of expertise, if you have a new idea for a new format of a podcast and a new category, get your niche right, get it right off the top, figure out why it's different and why that difference matters. But if you want to contribute something that is different, that makes a difference, that matters, then fucking start a podcast or a blog or write a book or an online guide or, or, or paint a painting or write a song or learn to play piano or whatever the thing is. But we don't sit there and go, oh, you know, Eddie Van Halen, greatest guitar player to ever live. Why, why should I bother learning to play guitar? Well, I don't know. Maybe you'd enjoy it. Right. And then maybe you'd make a contribution that others might find valuable. And no, 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 You know, I didn't sit there and look at my marketing heroes and go, well, I'm never going to achieve what David Ogilvy achieved. So fuck it. I'm not going to do anything. No, that's not where that's not what you do. You get in the game and you try to contribute something if you have something to contribute or something to create. Yeah, no, I love that. And uh, I, I appreciate that sentiment because I think you're right. Um, I, I, many could have told me, oh, you're Gianni, you're just getting into this very late in the game. And, and you know, you, you kind of said the opposite. And uh, Sangram from Terminus, who's had a, a pretty successful podcast in B2B called Flip Your Funnel, um, you know, uh, he, he, he also encouraged me. So I agree. I think if you do have something to say, you're trying to add value, you're trying to highlight. In my case, I was trying to highlight the diversity in thinking, uh, because I truly think that, you know, getting, for example, your perspective, coming from a three-time CMO, you know, two-time uh, author, uh, you know, number, number one podcaster in Apple, business marketing uh, dialogue, uh, sec, you know, kind of segment. It, it all adds to that, right? And I think people just lose sight of the fact that uh, we're living in very, very diverse times, right? And if, if you don't engage with diversity in a way to uh, elevate your thinking, it, it really can hinder your innovation growth, both your personal, but as well as if you're in an organization that tends to start getting myopic and maybe start just, you know, getting um, the same type of, uh, you know, folks working in their dev team, same folks in sales team, same kind of, you know, kind of, the same kind of box, um, then that's where I think companies start kind of losing their edge and their competitive advantage, right? So, so I, I, I thank you so much for that because you're, you're, you're definitely part of that journey that I'm on myself and others. Um, now, the, 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 the truly, the, the last question I want to ask you, 
because uh, I could speak, you know, hours with you and, and talk about chickens and cats and horses and other things probably, uh, is, you know, what, what question or what, what thing did I not uncover today with you that you would like to share? Is there something that I might have left out? Hmm. That's a good question. I'll tell, just tell you the thing that popped into mind, which is sort of a discussion about um, where we go from here. Um, 2020 has been the most painful year in modern history. And even if you're not directly impacted by a health crisis in your, your life or your family or a financial crisis or an equality crisis, all three of these things have collided on us and we've experienced them even if you haven't personally experienced them. And most of us have personally experienced some of, if not all of, those sort of three things coming together in sort of this crazy Venn diagram that we've been living in of pandemic, recession, bordering on depression, and, and a fight for racial justice. So um, it's been a mofo of a year, no matter what. And one in four American families is financially hurt by this. And most of us know somebody who suffered um, from the disease itself. And some of us have lost people from the disease. So, so I think it's important as we sort of head into next year. Um, let me say it this way. Here are a couple of things that I stand back and look at. The first one is... Um, a lot of legendary things did happen in 2020 that are exceedingly positive. And one of them for our industry, the tech industry, is 2020 is the year that data became an essential service. 2020 is the year that the internet became an essential service. The cloud became an essential service. And I think one of the greatest and maybe the greatest untold story of 2020 is the legendary job that our industry has done. Our industry, both vendors and IT professionals inside companies, if you will, user companies, um, stood up in an extraordinary way. Think about the thousands, tens of thousands of IT professionals who worked to, in a matter of days, create an ability to work anywhere in the world as we all shut down. Think about the digital supply chains and how they had to get radically transformed. Think about how small businesses that didn't have much of an online digital business were able to stand up stores or take orders online, be able to uh, use delivery services, you know, all these things, right? Uh, Zoom, uh, my entrepreneur of the year, I don't even think it's close. Eric Yuan from Zoom, R you know, generous as shit. They didn't plan to be a B2C company. They started off by giving to the schools and it exploded from there. We saw what he did at Thanksgiving, taking away the 40 minute limit and allowing everybody to, to Zoom with their loved ones on Thanksgiving for free and on and on. And so wherever we look in the technology landscape, it's amazing AWS didn't blow up. It's amazing Oracle didn't blow up. It's amazing we're not having massive, horrible security breaches 10 times, 20 times a day uh, in, in, the, in the face of an incredibly challenging cyber uh, a set of attacks that are going on. It's incredible that our major transaction systems have worked, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so this is the year where data, where the cloud, where the internet became an essential service. And our IT professionals, in my mind, are IT heroes. 
because the technology industry has made a giant difference. So that's sort of a big thing that I look at and go, you know what? Our industry can be proud of how we stood up and delivered uh, uh, like no other industry has ever had to in quite this way. The next thing I go to, Gianni, that um, um, I'm inspired by is in spite of all the negativity in the United States uh, amongst the two parties, and I'm an independent, I'm neither a Republican or a Democrat, um, humanity, both in America and beyond, has come together to jump on this fucking vaccine. And the job that these researchers, these scientists, these doctors, these medical professionals have done is unbelievable. The private-public partnership that's happened here is unbelievable. Um, the, the cross-industry, cross-country collaborations, watching people get the vaccine for the first time in the UK, you know, brought tears to my eyes, right? Seeing, seeing the first woman to get the vaccine. And so in a very short period of time, humanity has come together uh, to, to address this thing. And now the rollout of the vaccine is the largest product launches in the history of product launches. And marketers and supply chain experts and medical professionals uh, and so forth and so on are coming together to do the largest product rollout in history. And uh, of course, we're in the very, very early stages, and I'm sure there'll be problems and things we wish we did better and learnings along the way, but our, our society has come together. These companies have come together. Our governments have come together. And, uh, and so I think we head into um, you know, the new year, um, certainly facing a lot of challenges, but I think we also have a lot that we can be proud of. And I think that um, there's still never been a better time than right now to be in the technology industry, um, to be an entrepreneur, to be doing marketing that makes a difference. I really do think this is a cocoon time. There's whatever life was before plus or minus February 2020, and we're in this transition. And the future needs you, right? Never before has there been a time where the future is sitting right in our face saying, please, please come and write the rules of the future. What's, what's the future of technology? What, what kind of society do we want? How are we going to treat each other? How are we going to care for each other? It's all sitting there right now. Uh, and never before has there been a jump ball for creating the future like there is now. And that means when we have an opportunity as leaders to stand up and be part of the solution, be part of creating the society that we want, be part of building the kinds of companies that we can be proud of, um, and, and and really ultimately uh, move ourselves forward in a powerful way. And so we have that opportunity heading into 2021. And um, as broken and beat up as I feel, and believe me, I do, so I'm in no way trying to put whipped cream on dog shit, um, I also think there's a lot of cause for inspiration um, because I do think there's never been a better time uh, for those of us who want to make a difference, particularly around technology and entrepreneurship and marketing. Um, there's never been a better time. I really love that sentiment. And uh, I think it's a great way to, uh, to, look, in, to look at 2021 and, and beyond. Um, and you're right, it has been a hell of a storm. But I think that there's the upside. Uh, and it's exactly what you said. There's an opportunity for all of us to show up and to get in the game. If that jump ball was thrown up 
you know, now or never, right? <laughs> now or never scrap for the ball and, and, and try to uh, try to help the team win. Uh, so I, I, you know, I, I really appreciate this, Christopher. Um, amazing, legendary episode from a legendary, uh, you know, uh, marketing uh, entrepreneur professional. And so uh, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate your time today. And how can people uh, that don't already follow you, follow you? How can they get in touch with you? They want to learn more about category design or they want to hear legendary podcasts, both in marketing and your follow your different, which covers a little bit of everything. Everything hangs off lockhead.com, L-O-C-H-H-E-A-D.com. And, uh, you know, the books and the, the odd casts are everywhere else you get odd casts and books, <laughs> pretty much. Great. Thank you. And have a great one. Thank you, brother. All right. So I, I appreciate it, Chris, uh, Christopher. Can I call you Christopher, Chris? How do I, I call you? Address? It doesn't matter. It's fine. I don't care. Yeah, I got about 50. I'll, 50. I'll, uh, marketing consistency purposes. I, <laughs> I'll, I uh, I'll edit everything. Uh, but, again, uh, th thanks so much. I know it's uh, still uh, one, one o'clock-ish or whatever time it is there in California. I, li I lived in Southern California for four years, by the way. I was in Southern California, uh, Laguna Beach. I kept going up. I liked. Uh, I was in Huntington Beach, then Laguna Beach, and then went up to Long Beach, uh, beautiful, beautiful, uh, time great, all great places. Yeah. Beautiful. So all I, right, Gianni, um, thank you. Let me know when it comes out and we'll yeah. support it. I'll send it to you. I'll send it. I'll, I'll, this is what I do. I'll, I'll send it to Candace as well. Right. I'll tag you on LinkedIn is what I typically do. I take a snippet and tag and tag you. So just so you know, and then you can share it with your network. I'll probably also tag obviously some people that we mentioned in the podcast that have, that you've either, either you've had in your podcast or they were part of the uh, of what you mentioned, and I'll add your uh, on the show notes. I'll add the um, the books that you recommend and and other things on the show notes. So I appreciate it again. Awesome. Enjoy the holidays if we don't speak to you before then. And uh, again, thank you so much. God Happy bless. Happy holidays. Thanks, Thanks Johnny. Bye, Bye. Stay legendary.